0: My name is Anthony Capazzoli. I am the host of the Dismantled Life podcast and I'm a recovering alcoholic and drug addict after nearly 40 years of addiction. I've been clean and sober for nearly four years and work hard to help others find recovery. Join me each episode to learn from my sober superhero guests and how they went from the darkness of addiction into the sunlight of recovery. Dismantled Life can be found on Digitent Podcasts, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. What I'd like to do, if I could, if I may, is just read a little excerpt from your website, which I think is so absolutely perfect, if you don't mind. And then we can kick off the conversation because I think this is a great place to start, if you don't mind. Ready. Sounds good. So it's the beginning of the header. It's kind of mid-page and it reads where the real work begins. Many alcoholics and addicts believe that if they could just stop drinking or using, all of their problems would be solved. Unfortunately, this is not the case. When the alcohol and drugs are removed, the addict is forced to look at themselves, their own thought patterns and their behaviors that manifest from their thinking. This is where the real work begins. I couldn't agree more. That is the most perfectly succinct on point sentence about recovery and addiction and the process to get better that I've ever actually read or heard. It's it's perfect.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, as you probably know, and, and people have probably seen me on TV and stuff, I was homeless with this stuff but everyone kept saying, can you just stop drinking? And I couldn't do it. And I, and I thought, am I different? Why can't I do this? So it's so true uh, th- th- there's a few revelations that we keep for our uh, private patients. And one of them is alcohol has 1% to do with alcoholism and the same with drugs. You know, I never had a drinking problem. What I found out is I had a thinking problem. Yeah. And as long as my, I don't want to get too technical or neuroscience on your ass, but as, I, once the basal ganglia, which is our repetition strength and confirms with the normal person, it's just what we see, what we do. We learn a trade. We learn to be a pilot. It's them things going round with the alcoholic because alcoholics are born and drug addicts are made with the basal ganglia. The alcoholic brain has a default. And that means if you can imagine a clock face, you know, get the wife back job's going good, kids about everything's good. And around 10 till 5 till we'll sabotage for no reason. And that will continue until that changes. And and that's where it got really interesting for me because I was aghast that nobody knew this and nobody researched. So I've claimed the title, and I think it's true, is nobody has, has put enough work in and knows more about the alcoholic brain. I'm not talking about drugs, I'm talking about alcohol only because I was an alcoholic than we have. We've researched it over 30 years. We have, we, we rely heavily on neuroscience. And the other thing that I, that I was uh, amazed to find out is my hypothalamus, which is here. Uh, it tells me we're going to fight or flight. It tells me to eat food and to drink water to survive. We're born with this. It's why babies, you know, put their hand down the mouth or cry when they're hungry. During the alcoholic's journey, and we don't know when, we cross over to to drinking alcoholically. What happens to the hypothalamus is it tells me to drink alcohol. There's a default there. So what happens is I can go days or weeks without food or water because part of my brain is telling the prefrontal cortex to drink alcohol. And that is why it's a disease or one of them. The other way it's a biochemical deal.
0: Listen, I I, I get what you're saying because when I have been uh, in recovery nearly five years, um, and uh, from alcohol, cocaine, and nicotine, and I always throw nicotine in there because it went, it was it was part of my my tripod, you know, uh, it went hand in hand. So I would I throw that in there because recovery I had to quit it all. If I know if one of those legs of the stool comes off all three will fall for me. So I have to be very careful. But for me, I I would be able to go days without drinking water or any food as long as I had alcohol, cocaine, and nicotine, and I would be fine. Uh, Well, I I don't mean fine in a good way. I'm saying in my state, I would just go and go and go until I would literally collapse. It was how it would go for me. So I understand that concept where your body and brain just tells you to just keep going until there's a point of no return. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, we get
1: this all the time with patients when they come on board, I've never heard this, whatever, whatever. It's like, you really have to understand uh, the addictive personality and the alcoholic brain to understand what's going on. When they say that we do not have a choice, it's so real. Well, you always have a choice. My dad you to say, just choose the kids over alcohol. When the parts of the brain were working against you, you don't stand a chance. I was born as an alcoholic with 80%-ish bad neural pathways and 20% good. Normal human beings are born with eighty percent good and twenty percent bad. So I'm on a losing streak for a start. So then you add the trauma in because everybody has trauma. Everybody has trauma. It's just a matter of defining that trauma. Then I didn't really stand a chance to be honest, Antonia. I was always heading for death or prison. To
0: be honest, <laughs> it was no combination of. Uh... It's Hell's Cocktail. That's for sure. Uh, the trauma piece in there. And people uh, you know, always caution people, you can't scale trauma. My trauma, what I consider a 10 on the trauma scale might be a three to you, but it's not fair to compare. You, you really have to own in, in terms of your trauma is your trauma. And don't let anyone diminish or minimize your trauma. You got to be very careful there. And I, I try to tell people, I don't really do sober coaching. I do get calls and emails from people from time to time just for a little help. And I always point them to uh, others, you know, because yeah. I'm not a sponsor. I, I am not a silver coach. I am not a recovery expert, except on my own terms for myself. And by expert, I mean, I've just been doing it for five years. I don't know shit. Yeah. Just to be clear. <laughs> yeah. I'm still learning as I go. And me too.
1: I'm proud, <laughs> right?
0: I mean, but I'm proud to say it's been a good five years. I've put together five years and uh, I'm not going to do anything, drugs, drinking or smoking today. So that's great. But I had to kind of based on that beginning quote, I had to rebuild my life from the ground up. I had to rethink my approach to even getting out of bed in the morning. Uh, and, and by that, I mean, I used to let the day just happen. And I now know that that is not a good sense for me. I have to take control of my day to the best yes. of my ability with the <clears> routine. <throat> I get up in the morning at four. I go to work out at five. I'm home at about 6.15 a.m. I help my kids get ready, get off to school with my wife. And I start my work day and you know, so on and so forth. But I have yeah. to have routine. And checkpoints for myself along the way. Like, I have to make the bed. If I don't make the bed every single day, I make the bed in hotel rooms, for God's sake. Because if I don't,
1: I always feel the rest of
0: my day, I've got like a little itch I can't scratch. So all that stuff is very, very important. But I love how powerful it has made me. It has made me tolerant of other people's foolishness. It made me aware that I don't need to know what everybody thinks of me. I don't care what everybody thinks of me. I try to live in my own moment in a positive way. And I love the recovery community because once, like we talked about at the beginning, once people come to terms with, this is a fight, but it doesn't have to suck. You know, you just have to reline a few things and things are great. It's really, really wonderful. My life has never been better.
1: Yeah, definitely. Just going back to the trauma that you talked about a second ago, it's so true. There's not one trauma that affects everybody. You have to go back and start picking that trauma apart and finding out. So I was trying to explain this to people 15, 16 years ago. uh, And we came up with this saying that anything less than nurturing is child abuse. And you've got to stick by that to understand what's going on. And the other one was the routine. You know, it's a repetition strength and confirms. If I don't have a routine in my life, my brain will run amok and I'll be drunk somewhere. Yeah. I don't go for two days benders, I go for months benders. I'll be gone and dead and I'll take some people with me, probably, because mm. I'm a selfish pig. But yeah, it's it's so important that we that we have this routine in our lives. I, I literally live one day at a time, and it's not a 12-step thing. It's, it's actually um comes from a medical uh it's part of the hypothalamus resetting every 24 hours. Um, but uh, yeah, if I'm tonight. Eight o'clock tonight, it's five now. My my wife will pass me tomorrow's day and go, here's the patience. Here's what you need to do. And I'm, great. I've got to live like that because I, I can't be looking three or four days ahead. Yeah. You know, I don't People go, oh, you're going to New York in a couple of weeks. Are you excited? Nope. <laughs> I haven't thought about it yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ask me the night before and I'll give you an honest answer. It's like I need that routine. Once routine goes, and I. this is not me just saying this. This is me proving it to myself.
0: Once routine goes, I'm done. I'm done. I get that. I get that, Dr. Kelly. And uh, so just a little bit about you, sir, if if you don't mind sharing a little bit about your background and, uh, you know, how we got here, if you don't mind, I'd love to hear some.
1: Of course. Yeah. I mean, I started drinking at the age of nine, born into an alcoholic family. Didn't know that though, uh, but born into a musical family. So the age of nine is was on stage in Liverpool in England with my auntie and uncle uh, playing the pubs and clubs. And I, I took my first drink because I was nervous. And my uncle said, here, try this, suck it. Oh, my world changed right there and then. I've had people six, seven months old when they, when they first recognize alcohol in the body. That's how one of the it. you can tell you're an alcoholic. And the other one, it needs to be hereditary. It needs to be in the family system somewhere. Otherwise, you're just a heavy drinker. So I found this beautiful golden liquid <clears throat> I could use for courage. You know, kept playing, going through middle school. I went into high school. I was drinking Friday, Saturday, and Sunday when we were gigging, and then uh, <clears> somehow, somewhere, because we were, you know, musicians are like you put a load of gear into a car, you drive an hour to get paid pittance, and drive all the way back home again at two o'clock in the morning, and get up at seven for work. Well, somebody showed me this studio music, studio music that musicians go in. I'm talking back in the late seventies, early eighties. And you play the bass or whatever for your session. Uh so I joined a, a small recording studio called Strawberry Studios, which was owned by 10cc. And I played there. And I always remember the first time, Anthony, I went down and I mean, we're getting like, I don't know, five pounds, 10 pounds, I think, playing the, the clubs. And I played the I played three songs in a row. And they said, okay, Rob, awesome, man. Thank you so much. And they gave me a check, and it was for something like 120 pounds. And I'm like, holy shit. Right. I knew from that on, I don't want to play live. I want to do this. And then eventually, because I'm an alcoholic, I'm either all in or I'm all out. Yeah. Just for those guys who don't know, we don't have a middle setting. We're in, we're brilliant, or we're out, and we don't want to do it. I've never played basketball. I will never play basketball. Why? Because I'm not good at it. How do you know? Never played it, you know? <laughs> but I I finally end up at Abbey Road, playing with Queen Elton John, David Bowie. Wow! And- yeah i know so you know then i got into the cocaine unfortunately when i was there and uh i went to college and the money i earned from abbey road got me through college and you know a friend was a freemason so you know i got a contact from there and it all kind of stumbled together whilst drinking um yeah just barely got through a lot of friends being paid off because i had a lot of money playing at abbey road sometimes it would six hour seven hour session I had a brand new Porsche I had a nice little apartment down there
0: yeah
1: um it was it was absolutely amazing but you know I think that's where my my alcoholism uh, and cocaine use or amphetamines really took off you know I'd, I'd be I'd be studying all day and up all night at the studio and then go back in the next day and then take two days off so you can imagine that alcohol and cocaine thing going so I was doing all that I got fired from that job uh, eventually, for being drunk and wasted in a recording studio, I didn't even think that was possible. I thought <laughs> you had to be wasted and drunk to go into. A- I didn't know I got fired. You know, <laughs> so I, I joined the police, got fired from there, uh, finished college and everything, got come out a PhD from Oxford, uh, Greens College, and yes, uh, got fired being a police officer. You know, all the usual stuff. Met a girl in, in between. Never really wanted to stop drinking. Didn't know it had a hold of me. Here's the crazy part: didn't know it had it holding me through all this stuff. I remember my wife coming. I mean, coming downstairs one morning, two o'clock in the morning. We got married eventually because hey, getting married will stop me drinking, won't it? Right. And that's just shirt. Comes down the stairs into the kitchen quietly, two or three o'clock, looking for vodka. Finally found it. Put it on the counter. Turned around to get a crystal glass because I'm not an alcoholic, drinking out the bottle. And my wife had followed me downstairs and she snatched the uh, bottle of vodka off the counter and she said, I think you've had enough. I should have thanked her and gone to bed. Unfortunately, what I did was took a kitchen knife out and stabbed her three times. So then I had to flee to Spain. Three months later, got back into the country and then she left and uh, eventually I became homeless. Everybody threw me out. Nobody would take my calls. I sat on the streets of Manchester on a cold, night freezing cold with like rain or snow sleeting nowhere to sleep nowhere to stay I was abandoned on the streets and I I was there for 14 months you know I just wanted to die I didn't want to I got drunk every day I'm hurting people for money you know it was just it was sad is what it was Anthony. sad I I committed I tried to commit suicide seven times and on two occasions I, I I actually succeeded my heart stopped for a period of time, and they brought me back to life on a on the side of a cold, wet, stinky, rainy night in Manchester. And uh, I hated those guys for that. I really wanted to track them down and give them a peace of mind because I just wanted to die. I mean, I didn't go to hell when I was on the streets, but I could sure see it from where I was. There's no doubt about that. Wow. It was crazy days.
0: That's a journey. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what was the impetus that that made you take the recovery path uh, because there, for me, there was a, a moment, like I nearly died as well. Different story than yours and try to commit suicide, but I I drank and cocaine myself to death pretty, pretty much. And uh, it, it was what woke me up. And I said, I'm done. I, I this has to be it. I, I I can't go back. I hate myself. So I, I created the new me and I say that with pride. I, this yeah. is the new me. I'm the same person, but it's the new me. And I love that. Uh, so for you what was the what was the turning point was there a moment oh god
1: yeah there were two moments actually there there was uh, about 40 months on the street uh, I'm walking down the back side of manchester's factories only no no people there no houses nothing and it was pouring down with rain and i was soaking wet and um i I was desperate for a drink and i couldn't find any and i dropped down to my house and knees and i started crying like a baby remember the slow motion Tears hitting the back of my head, round the face, mixing with my tears, fell on the floor, stomach aching, sad, just done, done, absolutely done. And I don't know why to this day, because I was molested by my choir master and headmaster, so God was not even, please don't be mentioning that around me. Um, but I looked into the sky in this rain I said, I almost shouted it, if there's a God up there, I can't do this on my own anymore, is what I said. And 30 seconds later, a guy walked around the corner with a little Bible in his hand. He's missed his last bus home from Bible study. He'd gone this quick uh, route to get to his house. He'd been walking for an hour, an hour and 15. And he came across me and he he took me back home. And he said, you can stay here for long longer you want. I showered for the first time in a year, you know, shaved for the first time. And I, I don't know. It was just got warm clothes, warm house. And I was like, "Are you sure I can stay? You know, I'm, I'm I'm an alcoholic. I'm not worthy." And he said, "Rob, you can stay as long as you want, but there's one condition." And I was like, "Oh God, please!" And he said, "You've got to come to these twelve step meetings with me. I'm an alcoholic as well. And I'm in recovery." And I'm like, "Oh God, I've been to these meetings. They're nothing but war stories. Mm-hmm. Like time and time again, there's where and how much do you drink? How much do you?" I hated them, but it was a bed for the night, so I went. And I'm sat there, and I'm thinking how to get out and get to the liquor store and get back without Derek knowing. That's the guy that took me in. And I'm thinking of crawling through the the bathroom window, but it was only this big, but I still tried. I couldn't get my head through it. That's how insane I was. And this guy opposite me, his name was John. He said, my name's John. I'm a recovered alcoholic. And it seemed like the world stopped still for me. And I was like, what did he just say? Recovered? You can't recover... I've been through all that and just no way. So after the meeting, I walked over and I said, hey, Joe, my name's Rob. Will you sponsor me? And he said, no. So just before the ground opened up and swallowed me because I felt this big again, he said, but I will be a spiritual advisor for a period of 12 weeks. He gave me his address. It was an apartment. He told me to carry this big, big book on me with the dictionary and went around to his house. And I did that. I left my house at six, got there for seven, uh, stayed with him until eight, and then walked home till nine. Every Wednesday, I did that for 12 weeks. We talked about God. We talked about alcoholism, philosophy. We talked about psychology. You know, I just knew that when I came out of that man's house in, in 1988 that I'd never drink alcohol again as long as I followed, you know, what he taught me. But it, it got a bit deeper because he said, Rob, your life's going to change from tomorrow and now we finished. And I said, it, it can't change from tomorrow. I'm in mean, this guy's basement and i am blocked mattress. Nobody knows I'm there. I'm homeless. Nobody knows I'm there. Bloody hell, the next day, Derek came home at 11 o'clock in the morning. You're not supposed to come on till five. I'm like, what? What are you doing here? He said, Rob, there's a... And he didn't know about this, John. Rob, there's a part-time job at work sweeping the floor. Are you interested? He, yeah, I'm interested. I don't care how much he pays. The next day, because I got on really well, it turned into a full-time job. And then, you know, my life started to get better and better. And I was working with people who were struggling from alcoholism. So when I got my first pay packet, uh, it was cash stapled to an envelope back in the day. I went to the local gas station and I bought him a little card and a little tiny teddy bear. That's all I could afford. And I wrote on the on the card, thank you for introducing me to God. He took the compulsion to drink away. And I walked back to his house. When I got to the apartment, it looked a bit derelict, as if there's nobody living there. But I knew I had the right place. Knocked on the door, and a lady to the right came out and says, "Can I help you, love?" And I said, "Yeah, where's where's John moved to?" And she said, "John." I said, "Yeah, John has not been no one in that apartment. Are you talking about years ago?" I said, "No, I'm talking about three weeks ago. There's been no one in that apartment since I've been here. I've been here for like nine months." Let her close the door. She was insane, obviously. So I knocked on the left-hand door and a guy came to the door. I said, where's John relocated to? And he said, John. And I I said, yeah, the guy next door. He said, I've been there for two or three years. That for the last 12 months has been derelict. You can't go in that place. It's not safe. I knew I had the right place. So I went back to the meeting where I met him. And I got hold to the chairman. And I said, hey, remember me coming in? Yeah, I remember you, Rob. I remember you. I said, remember the guy called John I was with? I'm trying to trace him. John, John, the guy I was with, I was over near the coffee machine where this conversation, <laughs> I mean, going to his house for like three months, John, and he said, you wasn't at the coffee machine speaking to John, but you was over at the coffee machine speaking to yourself. Never found that man. But what he taught me is the reason we have a 97% success rate and offer a money back guarantee if you relapse while still following our program. Because of him, I, wanna, I wish I could tell everybody I was this clever, Anthony, but I'm not. A lot of it was divine. A lot of it was, and then the neuroscience came in, which made so much sense to me. So we just took two years off, uh, all the company, and I just went studying, you know, went back to university and I studied the brain pertaining to alcoholism because I knew by your dad just saying, can't you stop for your children? And you knew there was something that everybody was missing here. Because we're supposed to be weak when we can't stop drinking, and somehow, Anthony, back in the eight, late eighties, early nineties, I knew it wasn't a choice. I just knew it wasn't. <clears throat> and I came to America, and here I am today.
0: That's amazing. I, in your you're down in, you're in Texas.
1: I'm in San Antonio, Texas now.
0: Yeah. I'm with. I, there are moments in my life through my alcoholism and drug addiction, and then my recovery, Bob, th- through my addiction, I, it, it always felt evil. Like it was like an evil vein involved. And it, it just always felt dark and dirty and nasty and fake. Fake meaning I was fake. Everything about me was yeah. fake. Everything yeah, yeah. that I did was bullshit. I was just hustling myself to continue doing what I was doing. And then when I was going uh, for the five years, when I started recovery, I got in of the hospital, uh, I was in there for 13 days, nearly died. I, I made it. The doctor said I wasn't going to make it, but I made it. Divine intervention. And here I am. But I was, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what, t- when I got home, I was scared on the drive home because I didn't know what the hell I was going to do. Yeah. Uh, but while yeah. I was in the hospital, there was a little courtyard and I would, uh, I was taking off the IVs for about an hour a day in those 13 days just to have them, you know, clean the linens and things like that. Yeah. And I would go walk and I could barely walk. I was like 50 pounds overweight. I, I, I could, could barely string a quarter mile of to a walk together, but I walked every single day in that time. And I walked uh, as long as I could. And I would stop if I needed to catch my breath and continue. So when I got home, I thought, well, I'm just going to keep walking long story short. That's what I did. I walked every single day and I, I made it to a mile and then up to five, six miles a day, then I started boxing, and I started crossfit. But on that walk, on one of the beginning days, it was kind of a cloudy, drizzly, rainy day. And I thought, I, I'm never gonna make it. I don't know what I'm gonna do, I was scared to death. And at about the three quarter mile mark, the sky, just a little bit of the sky opened up and sun came down and hit me in the face. And I could feel the warmth, and it was. I always get choked up when I talk about it, but it, it really was God and my family, and uh, that have passed on that are in heaven, and just giving me the strength to continue. Just stay <clears> the <throat> path. Don't give up. Don't quit. Mm-hmm. And I haven't. Yeah. And I explained to people that. I don't know and I couldn't promise anyone that they're all gonna have a similar experience with the sunshine and the ability to have that kind of moment that gives you the ability to believe in yourself. Because that's what it really comes down to. Am I worthy of this process? And that moment, you know, made it okay for me. It's the craziest thing and I say it to people and if they're not in recovery or going through the process of wanting to recover, they look at me like I'm nuts. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I, I wouldn't tell that story
1: for 15 years I was in recovery because I, I was scared people would think I was crazy. But, you know, it's the self-worth we lose. It's the We lose our identity to alcohol and drugs. Trauma is the gateway drug. So when you look at the trauma in our lives, man, it, you know, it's no wonder. But I can tell you this, after 30-odd years of being in this game and over 8,000 people that I've worked with, I can tell you one thing. There's no such thing as coincidences, everything. You see, at first it was fun. Oh, wow. I just got, God, look at that. Oh my God, that was lucky. But after a while you go, oh, this is not, this is not, wow. This is not coincidence, man. This is not luck. It's got nothing to do with it. And and when we go into a deeper level on some of the nighttime podcasts, I've only shared a few times, but I truly believe that certain alcoholics and addicts and people in trauma have been chosen and they've been chosen to do what me and you do because it's a lonely journey sometimes but we get out and we do it because we're the only people who get two lives in one lifetime, you know, and I'm not going to fuck the second one up. Sorry, viewers. (laughs) I'm not I'm going to make sure that I do everything. I remember signing a, uh, we used to have uh, offices in Dallas Highland Park, um, about eight years ago and I signed a lease for a million dollars. Might've been nine years ago. And everybody was like, you must be crazy. It was over 25 years or something. I was in a medical building and, uh, how do you? How do you? How do you even sleep at night, man? How, what, what? And I said, "Hey, listen, what the hell can they do to me that I haven't already done to so myself?" Right. <laughs> what yeah. are you going to do? Take the office off me? I don't care. Have it, yeah. You know, and that's the way I live life today. And people, for a man in my position, because everyone knows I'm crazy. Everyone knows I think outside the box. Everyone knows how good I am or what I do. It's like what you think of me is none of my business. Yes, you know? I used to walk into a room, and you'll get this, Anthony. Walk into a room, you know, hungover. I used to walk in and go, Oh my god, I wonder if anybody likes me in here. Yeah. Oh, today, I kick the door down, walk out with my head straight, and I go, Who the fuck do I like in here? You know, <laughs> and that's not ego, that's 30 odd years walking hand in hand with God, supreme being, universe, Uncle Jimmy, whatever you want to call it. And really building and realizing because when people realize how powerful they are and when people realize that you know you can have anything that you want to have as long as you pay the price for it you know that quantum physics tells us that if you want something you can see it you walk over and you take it which means that whatever you can visualize here, you can have here but what happens When i was a kid we used to play football on the street. And we used to pass to each other the ball and we go, hey, Jimmy, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be an astronaut. What about you, Billy? I want to be a professional football player. What happened to them dreams? I'll tell you. They were kicked out of us by family and friends. That's what happened. Every baby's born with a million-dollar mind. Do you know what we do? We we end up hanging around these 10-cent minds all the time. All the time. And it's finding out who you are and finding out who that leader is. And show me your friends, I'll show you your future. When I was in Dallas three or four years ago before I moved to San Antonio, I hung around with a bunch of guys. They were okay, but they weren't, you know, go as I am. And I said to them, you know, I'm thinking of writing a book. One of them said, don't be stupid. You're not an author. They was like, you can't do that. It takes years. You're not you're not a writer. You can't do that. I never wrote a book, Anthony. I came to San Antonio three years ago, hung around some great guys, all recovered alcoholics like me. And I said to them one day, you're thinking of writing a book, and this was going to be action. Oh my God, I thought you already had books out. Oh my, I would definitely read that. You just go, oh, Rob, you've got to do this, man. So I wrote a book, you know? It's like, we have to be careful who we hang around, but I can give you a little tip from my 34 years of experience over the years and years is that you're not listening stroke watching this podcast by mistake. That's all I'm going to say about that. You know, let that sink in because... We were always meant to meet, me and you, Anthony, and was always meant to inspire and save lives on a daily basis. That's what we do, you know? He didn't give it to the the doctors or the surgeons or the the military or the the government. He gave it to us, the guys that, me, the guys that sold his kids out for alcohol, the guy that stabbed his wife, give it to us. You know, that's a big responsibility. When I get up at 5.30 and have to go and see somebody and I've got patients at nine waiting, this guy's from a 12-step meeting and I have to go and see him because he's going to blow his head off. I get to
0: do that shit today. That's the difference. It's amazing. I 100% agree with you. There's power that I've lost a lot of friends and a lot of family Mm -hmm. because I no longer require a cheering section. I I don't need people to like me. I don't care. I'm gonna do things that are right by me, by my family, by my kids, by my wife. And I don't give two shits what people think about it. So long as it's done from the right place in my heart and in my soul, meaning I'm not intentionally hurting anybody and uh, I am very cautious of that. But I no longer give a shit what people think and it's empowering because I used to, like you said, walk in the room and do everything in my power to make sure that everybody loved me. Everyone was okay with me. I would bend over backwards to win over people's opinion of me. Yeah. I It yeah. would kill me if somebody was upset with me. I would do everything I could and I would pine over it for days trying to figure yeah. out what I did wrong. How could yeah. I fix it? And what I've learned is that is all yeah. acute trauma yeah. that I would accept. And it, it, it rather it, it take in and now I no longer allow that nonsense. There's no chaos in my life. If you bring chaos, you are out of my life. There I'm is I... no tolerance for any of that. Uh, and I <clears throat> do believe that I can give two shits what people say it's what they do that matters to me. Yeah. Um, and I work very hard and I'm very proud to say that I have a very small core group of people in my life on a regular basis now, but that is earned through the process. That is earned through my giving back as well and accepting, like you said, choosing very carefully the people around me. And and that's part of what I have learned that I used to be one of those. I want to be one in a million people, one of a million people in a room at a party having a great time. Now I will, I prefer to sit by myself with a book and read or whatever it is I'm doing because I'm good with who I am by myself. And it took a lifetime to get there. There was I know, mean, 52, it it took me 47 years
1: to That's get the part
0: hate, you know. But I guess it
1: is what it is, you know. I've never I've never been fully whole until about three years ago. Um, uh, you know, I mean, I remember I don't read press about me. I never watch myself on TV, I have never read my book and I never listen to any podcast. For two reasons. One, I'm sensitive. If one person out of one million says I was horrible, I might start romancing that shit. You yeah. know, and sadly, I don't watch him because I might start believing that shit. So I, I kind of stay away. But I was, I was talking to someone the other day and, and uh, I said, you know, what about other people's opinions? And he said, oh, he was amazing. He said, other people's opinions? That doesn't pay my mortgage. <laughs> I'm like, yes, that's what I'm going to use from now on. He's like, you know, but we're sensitive people and we're sensitive because of two parts of the brain in alcoholics uh, are formed differently and uh, numb out you know the insula kind of numbs out when uh when we go through the trauma you know it doesn't work properly it's like our body indicator and tells us if we're cold hot hungry you know we, we lose that feeling so we kind of numb out on everything so you can see why it would take you know this time to get where we really are today and i've got to tell you man i mean i i've been in house suite without john in the savoy hotel uh that was considered the best hotel in the world back then you know participating in all the stuff you could imagine and thinking to myself does life get any better than this it has it had to for me it had to be a billion times better than that and it is today you know i went to bed last night i was 17 i woke up this morning i'm 61 that's how fast life goes you know, we did research on, on people that that was in a care and were going to die and was allowed to go and ask them some questions. And, you know, we took flowers and these guys were awesome speaking to us. But there was one current theme through everybody. And that was, I thought I had more time. Guys, let me tell you, if you sat at home, you don't have time. Yeah. You don't have time. Go start that business. Go marry that girl. Go buy that house, that car. Go do it now. Because if you sat at home thinking, well, I'm just not ready, you're never going to be ready, guys. Yeah. never. And when you're 70 years old, you're going to look back and say, Oh, if I, if all oh my, oh, take every opportunity that's put, to, every opportunity that's put to you, you know, and find out your niche in life. That's what it's about. Find out what you're good at and then be so good at it that you make money
0: out. Of it. But it's just be kind of dreams, man. You so know? I- I'm actually so I I do believe like I do feel like I found I found a fountain of youth in my recovery and I'm not yes. I'm not saying I look any younger but I feel younger I'm in better shape uh, my health is 100% better than it's ever been in my entire life my mind is sharper I'm more calm I'm more patient I'm more willing to learn and I'm more trustworthy with myself and all of this came from who I the new me the recovery mm-hmm. me yeah. and and I love it and I tell people like I, I now do workouts at 52 that if I tried at 16, I would have collapsed and shit my pants. Right. There would have been no Isn't way. Is that crazy? It's really I, crazy. I, I, but I don't find that in
1: normal people, Anthony. I look around me and I'm 61-year-olds where everyone, they're all they're all old, they look old, they, you know, they all oh, they, they you know, they need blue pills to have sex. Or you, <laughs> it's like I feel 30, you know, even though I'm 61, it's the same as you. The workouts are intense. Like I don't give a shit about anything. You know, I, I work professionally, obviously, and I have a family I look after. But apart from that, you know, I had a blue streak down my head two weeks ago. I, I don't, I've been like, you, you must be crazy. That's me. That's me living life to the full because I don't, I don't care what you think. A bright orange scrubs with pink shoes and a blue hat when I went to visit someone in hospital, well, not visit, work in hospital last week. I don't care, you know, and this, I, I, I'm so glad you said that because it's so true. We it don't really look is. it. We don't feel it. We don't definitely don't act like it. We mm-hmm. def, I have a crazy $200,000 car set outside. My dad would kill me if he was alive <laughs> buying a crazy. I don't care. You know? He's yes. like, oh, my God, how much was that car? Uh, it's $2,100 a month. I've ever died too much. I've gives a shit? I got pounds <laughs> driving around, everyone thinks I'm amazing. You know, it's like, do it, do it now, now, now. Don't wait. You know, we have a, we have some we did some studies on the brain, and the magic the magic number for us was 7.3 seconds. And what that's 7.3 seconds is twofold. It's one, if you're going to drink, you can redirect neural pathways, get a rubber band, snap it, central system. So 7.3 seconds. But while we're doing them tests, we came up with something else, and that is if you're sat on the sofa eating potato chips and you know fries and, and watching the show and your gut sticking out, you go, Oh yeah, like, hey, misses, I'm gonna go to the gym tomorrow. If you don't get up, join them seven by three seconds, go into the bedroom, get your stuff together in a bag and walk to the front door and put out the front door, you're never gonna go. So you've got to start moving towards that goal straight away. Pack your yeah. clothes, put it in their door. There's a hundred percent chance you're gonna go the next day.
0: I just got the chills because I, I every single night. At about 7 30, 7 45, I get my workout gear together, put it in the bathroom. So as soon as my alarm gets up, goes off, I get up, walk into the bathroom, I brush my teeth, do all of that, put my gear on and walk out the door. And if I don't put it there, I can't sleep. I can't do anything until I get up and put it there because I have to take that action step that will lead me to a good next step, no matter what it is. I can't sit around anymore. Like I have to fill my days in a positive energy, not not cocaine energy. I'm saying productive energy where I'm cooking and making wholesome food for my children. If I'm not doing that, I'm chilling. I'm, I'm relaxing with them or trying to, They're, you know, 10 and seven. So sometimes yeah, it's a little bit, kind of yeah. but I agree with that action step is the, yeah. you have to get up and take action and commit yourself mentally, spiritually, emotionally, physically with that action. If you don't, it just goes away like smoke. You have to mentally lock in on it. I I really believe that if I don't, like I know now, if I'm going to do something, I have to take those. I didn't know that it was 7.3 second commitment, but uh, that makes sense to me because if I don't get up and do something using that energy rush that comes with the idea, I may never do it. So that's why I have to plan and get up and have a little process and routine. But that commitment to action is a big deal. Tony Robbins talks about that a lot too. And, um, well, let, never made explain, more sense. Let me explain the neuroscience behind that
1: because uh, the basal ganglia, which our repetition strengthen, and confirms, okay, is very connected to the internal dialogue. All right, the internal dialogue is always going on in our head. It's what we listen to and we do. When you don't make an action, what happens is the basal ganglia will self sabotage during twenty four hours. Okay, so if you if you're if you're not going to the gym, is you're self sabotage Your mind was alcohol, drugs, sex, and women, porn, food. If you didn't, you know, by, by the 10 till 5 to it, it was self sabotage. When you put your stuff near the door or in the bathroom, what happens is the internal dialogue is saying, It's there, we're going, it's there. So, what happens when you wake up, it's introduced to the basal ganglia that becomes a working part of your mind for that day only. That's why it's a daily basis. So, it's clicked in. So, it's a neuroscience thing that it's 100% fact. You know, we can talk ourselves out of anything. I'm sure you've been in a few situations oh, yeah. and you guys at home listening. You've got to watch that internal dialogue, man, especially if you're an alcoholic. You see, my, this is my internal dialogue. My internal dialogue for buying my wife some flowers or sending a birthday card is, hey, Rob, let's go and do this for your wife. It's really awesome. You're a good man, Rob. You're a good husband. Now, if I were to relapse and something happened, that voice is different. Just take a few drinks. Nobody will care. Nobody will mind. It'll just be one drink. I have them two tones. Do you know what the internal dialogue tells me when I'm doing something bad? Hey, Rob, let's go and have a drink somewhere. Let's go and do this somewhere. It changes to have the same dialogue as what I was doing. So I think it's a great idea because I've taught myself round. As soon as the brain awakens in the morning, it gets put into that basal ganglia and I'm away, I will relapse. So that's why the routine is very important. And if you're going to do something, do it in the first 7.3 seconds and you'll definitely get it done, period. It's just amazing how that works. But there's a lot of stuff that you do that works. You know, it's just you've got to realize who you are. You've got to realize you need your identity, back. you've got to realize everybody is a leader and and the world needs leaders. And I say this to my patients all the time, Andreas. Hey, listen, how are you doing? Good to see you. Yeah. I've got a really bad problem, Dr. Rob. Listen, if we could swap places for three minutes right now, all your problems would be over. And they go, why? You don't see what I see. And they go, what? You don't see what I see or anybody else sees. You see what people as caregivers during trauma told you you see. You've told you to get overweight. You might be, you might not, but they've told you that you're never going to amount to anything. They told you, you know, and it's all learned behavior. So the experiment we did with that is we got a a mason jar like this and we put a a thousand fleas in it and then we screwed the top on and we punched the hole, we left it for three days. When we took the cap off, because fleas can jump three or four feet, as we all know, we took the cap off, not one flea would jump higher than where the cap was, which is interesting, I found it interesting. What was mind-blowing is when they had babies in that jar, the babies wouldn't jump higher and they've even not even seen the lid, will jump higher than where the lid was. So the learned behavior, what we got to tell when, when we're youngsters of what we can and can't do, the rights or wrong in life, determine who we'll be when we grow up. And the relationship inside that house, let's say, for instance, you know, dad always got drunk, and now and again, he punched a wife or something. What happens to that teenage girl when she sees all this growing up is when she gets in a relationship with a good guy, it feels awkward. And she self-sabotages it. What she gets attracted to is the violent alcoholics who ends up beating her. And the pattern continues and continues and continues. Yeah. And until somebody breaks that pattern, you know, it's unbelievable. My daughter, age three, used to tell me she knew at the age three when the authorities took them off me, she knew what she said walking down the path. She knew the words. She said at the age of three. Children are very resilient, but remember everything. It's all learned behavior. So if you're going through this addiction alcoholism, you can recover from that bullshit, but I 100% guarantee you can recover from it, you know, and get a better life. It's yeah. just like, how bad do you want it? You're not for anybody else, for you. I mean, do you. If, is this your lot in life? You know, well, I work nine to five at a desk and, you know, I get paid like 40 grand. Is that it? Because I'll tell you something right now, if you knew how powerful you were and you knew how much you could earn, that wouldn't be good enough for you. And that was me when I came into this business. People call me all the time and tell me, hey, Dr. Ron, I'm just starting my own practice. How much do you think I should charge? And my answer is always the same. How much are you worth? Oh, how much are you worth? Because you know, my price is $1,000 an hour. Oh my God, that's so expensive. Yeah, that's my worth we're talking about. You know, that's my worth. And if everyone just knew their worth, It would be a better place, man. And compliment, I compliment three people every day and I bless them on monetary. Thank you, God, when I leave the house. So if you don't think the compliment thing works, first of all, dopamine is released in my brain when I do this. But if you're in an area with loads of people, say shopping is a great example and sneakers are the best one to describe this. See someone you don't know, but they've got nice sneakers on. And as you walk past them, go, hey, buddy, nice sneakers. You go, "Oh, oh, thank you. Then watch him walk away from you. He'll look down at his sneakers two or three times while he's walking away. So you've just made him in a good mood. Then he goes back to the girlfriend or, or wife. Now because he's in a good mood, she's in a good mood. Then the mother-in-law calls the girlfriend, and da 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 da, and it goes on 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 and on, on just because you said
0: nice sneakers. I, I I agree. I do agree with the daisy chain effect of that. And I I, I it's something you said also that's interesting is I. I'm very cautious about the noises that I live in my brain and not just the internal speak. I only, I seek things out that give me positive energy or peaceful energy. And I avoid things like the news, uh, yeah. reality, reality television uh, music that doesn't make me feel good. And that changes from day to day because some days it's one kind of music, other days it's another type. Yeah. But the point is, I'm very cautious of the noise. And I don't allow myself or to be around if people are talking shit about other people. I excuse myself. Yeah, I don't want to hear it. Yeah, yeah. uh, and I'm very careful of that because if I let that go, that's used that used to be my old behavior. And if I if I'm not careful of that noise coming in, it casts shadows on my sunshine and it fucking ruins my brain. Yeah. Like it legitimately gets in the way of a good day. It's crazy that I can't sleep. I'm an asshole. It's it's, it's real.
1: And yeah. guess what? If, if you're acting out whole behavior, guess what? It's current behavior. And that's yeah. when we get into trouble. Yeah. I love that. I, I love that. See, what we see is how we feel. If I see a movie that's killing dogs or something, which I would never watch, never, yeah. I'm going to get that mindset and feel that way. You know, I'm an animal's over people anytime. In fact, I'm to be honest with you, I fucking hate people. <laughs> you know, I do what I do to help people, but right. if you put me in a, with me, and my, I mean, I have three English bulldogs and two cats with my wife. And if I I'd, I'd take them over any circle of friends, anywhere or any party or anything, it's like you just, you just seem, to, you, this is it. When you go through this program and you get your life back, this is it. And you go, holy shit, have I been hanging around these? Have I allowed them to treat me that way? And you go, enough's enough. Yeah. You know, enough's enough, and you don't have to sit around when they get into. And I, I love Anthony when they start calling people. You can walk off. I don't need to get involved with that. You know, I just I don't get I don't get involved in any drama. Some twelve mm-hmm. step group. Hey, Doctor Robert, I, I, Jenny's stop. I don't want to hear about. it. Yeah, but I need some help. Stop. That's drama. Yeah. What does God say to you? Go. So you don't need. And everybody knows now. Don't come with drama. I do not want to know. I'm not getting in that. Yeah. You know, I'm just not getting into that stuff because it, it spoils my peace. It and when it spoils my peace, all sorts of crazy things can happen to me. And I'm not I'm not doing that, you know. I'm, not, I'm really not doing it. last time I met my sister, Anthony, was when I was on the streets. I've visited her a couple of times going back to England over the years, but the last time she came and see me, I was on the streets in Manchester. And uh I, I was a drunk and a bomb begging for money. And she came over mm-hmm. nine months ago. And she was skeptical. And I'm like, come on, come on, we'll, we'll fly you over. And she's like, well, I don't know. You know, it, it, we'll be all fitting in house. We'll get a hotel. And I picked her up and this is, this is very rarely do I get, you know, sort of pat on the back with me. I've not got time for that shit, but I picked up the airport and I just bought my wife a brand new range Rover. And it's not all about money, but it's, 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 it's showing people that you can be like this. And we drove her back to the house. We, pull, we have electric gates on the front and shit. When we pulled towards the electric gates and they started to open, she started to cry. And it says, what are you crying for? She went, oh my God, I never thought you would ever do this, Rob. You you were dying last time I saw you. And it really touched me I, because, and here's the honest thing, I needed to hear that. And it was like at the, when that happened, everything got put to bed for me.
0: Yeah.
1: I wasn't trying to prove it. I just needed her to say, Rob, you've done well. Uh, and You're that nice. same girl I'm picking up in three hours time with her husband and they're coming here to live really that's yeah, amazing first year. Yeah. and it's my awesome. daughter who they took off at the age of three contacted me four years ago on messenger we sent her back to school she, she introduced me to my three month granddaughter when we went over and as of about eight or nine months ago she became my lead therapist in my Manchester office
0: that is amazing
1: this is what you can achieve guys you know it's not I ego, it's confidence it. you can do this i must be and i'm sure you're like this and i must be the only person that i know i don't i will show you shit i will show you how to do this i i'm not putting anybody down oh no right. yeah i want you to do better than me you know yeah. I, I, when when patients come on sometimes and you pay this money and and they go oh well i can't afford this we, we buy it for them we we send them because you we, you, this is not right. You're sending me money. i like, wouldn't you do the same to another human being if he was in our position? What am I going to do? We give twenty five percent of our earnings. That's around one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. We give back into communities that one parent families, people coming out of court, coming out of prison, need a suit for a, a jury or something, whatever it is. And that gives me the most pleasure. Oh, you know, take it with you and die. It's like, nah, not for me. You know, I truly I mean, walk in the sunlight of the spirit and I really, truly leave it up to him. You know,
0: I love it. I, I listen. I think everything. I This has been an absolutely wonderful conversation. And I, Dr. Rob, I really hope that you will honor me to come back for a follow up episode, because this has been tremendous for me um, and, and just by way of rapping. And the only reason I'm rapping now is I don't know that we could ever top what you just said in a conversation because I thought it was so great. How do people reach out, and learn more about you, find you? Because what you're doing is absolutely fantastic.
1: I uh, put Dr. Rob Kelly in any search engine. I, I, I spell my name with two B's. robbkell com is the website. Jump on there. There's a book on there. Buy it. Every single dime goes out. Not profit. Every single dime of that book goes out to help people. It's nine dollars. If you don't like it, text me. I'll send you nine dollars back. No problems with that. And uh, yeah, just there's lots of fun Mm -hmm. stuff to do. There's, I've got a thousand, two, three, four thousand podcasts out there that I've been on. I've got lots of TV, lots of uh, you know, just go and enjoy ourselves. But what I what I want to say before I go, Anthony, if that's okay, is You know, if you if you're listening or watching this, guys, and you're in that position we've just spoke about and you don't have anybody to turn to, but you think your life's crap, you think you're not going to amount to anything, well, first of all, like I said, I want to apologize you because somebody's put that there. And secondly, 214-600-0210 is my personal cell phone number. I would rather give you a text me and I'll I'll call you back and give you a 10 minute pep talk that will change your life than hear of your funeral next week. And I tell you what, if I don't change your life in that 10 minutes, I'm going to send you $100 for your time.
0: Come on, guys. We're in this together. In this together. We can do this. I am honored that you are on my show. Thank you very, very much for, for being a part of this day for me.
1: Oh, same as, man. Thank you, Anthony, for what you do. You're amazing. You help so many people, man. It can get lonely at the top like we are. But thank you, man. You, you're just amazing. I can not wait to get on tonight. Thank you, sir.